Welcome to Bros Before CEOs, the podcast that believes you can love your job by increasing your career capital through learning rare and valuable skills. Join us this week as we talk all about conflict in the workplace. Conflict isn't only inevitable, but when done correctly, can lead to a healthier work environment. Join us as we discuss the hard lessons we have learned and how we use conflict to help us grow a healthy team. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. It's the Bros Before CEOs podcast. Bro, I'm not your bro, bro. If for 10 years, if you didn't avoid doing what you knew you needed to do. I think people can choose to be not ordinary. You're not everything you could be and you know it. Bro, take it easy, okay? All right, we are back. Another week, another podcast. And this week, um, I got to pick the podcast. So we've been getting together, recording two podcasts at a time. You kind of pick a topic and write a bunch of notes. I pick a topic and write like two bullet points. So it really shows our personality and preparation. Uh, But this week, we're going to talk all about conflict in the workplace because I think dealing with conflict, like I said in the intro, is inevitable and it's definitely a skill worth building up. And uh, it actually can even be something that is healthy and lead to a healthy working environment and a healthy team. And so, uh, Tim, we'll just start with you. I wrote some questions down to help get the conversation started, but can you think of some examples of conflict, like thinking early on in your career before we built the skill and how you dealt with conflict poorly? Wow, straight into it. We're like a minute 30. And I was going to say, look, as you learn the different podcast styles, if you're Team Tim, hit that share button. If you're Team Houston, hit that share button. And uh, and yeah, let us know what you like. Conflict. Um, I think we both used to be really bad at conflict, and now we're both much better at conflict. But it's because I became a little more like you, and you became a little more like me. Um, I'm going to say you've dealt with conflict significantly better than me for the vast majority of our professional careers. I'm an avoider. You're a confronter. So I don't know. I think at the end of the day, avoidance is... That was you just avoiding. (laughs) Like you just kind of like avoided a conflict by being like, I'm an avoider. Well, no, I'm I'm happy to talk about conflict issues. Uh, to To be frank, I'm trying to remember like a good one that I can, I can share. Um, the the problem the problem with me is there were so many things that should have been conflicts but i i avoided it so yeah. that it wasn't so like i can't think of like i can think of a few instances where it's like big blow ups in the office but it wasn't like well that that's a way related. to deal with conflict is is avoiding it so like what we what i want to do is like lay a base of for people listening that want to build us as a skill we're going to talk about what we do now and some of it hopefully is going to sound really good and it's going to be things you can take notes on. But before we do that, it's like, where do we come from? Because I'm the exact opposite. I can think of many things that shouldn't have been conflict that were conflict early on in my career. In fact, uh, I mean, I would have, I was such a terrible employee and student in like my teens and early 20s. Like I got fired from every job I had from the time I was 15 to the time I was 21. Really? Yeah. And I used to tell my bosses, I was such a dick. Like, like I used to say, because I was in high school, so I was like, hey, you know how junior high's GPA doesn't matter? Like, you can be a CD student in junior high and then be a straight-A student in high school, and that's all that colleges look at? Yeah. I was like, this job is like junior high. It doesn't, I don't, I'm not building my resume from freaking Ingles as a bag boy. I don't care what you think about me, <laughs> right? Like, and so I would just inevitably, like, what Say, would, so what would you do? Why would you get fired from Ingles? Um, I got fired from Ingles because I wanted to go on a beach vacation and they're like, you can't have the whole week off. I was like, I'm not asking. Like, I'm letting you know. 
And they're like, if you don't show up, you're fired. I was like, okay. That's fine. I'll take my skills to Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. It was $5.15 an hour, and I was just awful. Hey, I sh- just Shout out to those who shop at the Pig. You know, you're from the South. All right. We didn't have a Piggly Wiggly. Ingles is great. Um, and then, like, one time I was at a store, and they someone, it was Ingles as well. I didn't get fired for this one, but someone, a kid, like, pooped, like, in a diaper or whatever, it like blew out, you know, it's on the floor and they're like, we need you to clean this. I was like, no chance I'm doing that. Like, and they're like, what? I'm your boss. I'm not asking. I was like, I don't have to be in your ploy. Like I'm telling you, I'm not doing that. Like you can let me go or you can find someone else to do it. It was just too much conflict. Like I ran to conflict. And what I found early on is most people don't have the tolerance of conflict that I do. And so I could like bully my way. Mm. And the car business really changed that. Because all of a sudden now, I was in a high negotiation, like the ability to have high conflict, and I just was a inexperienced 22-year-old and just couldn't. Like my bark was louder than my bite, if that makes sense. And so that really humbled me to like learn people are also good at conflict in this, and they have tons of experience and are much older and larger. And I'm not going to like just puff my chest up and talk really loud over people, and they're going to back down. Because you met sales guys that could, oh yeah, yeah, that could match I met you. real sales guys, yeah, for the first time. Yeah. So then I found a home and I was accepted, but I also realized like I'm not going to rise to the top by just like puffing yeah. my chest and running to conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the hierarchical chain, you were you were correct. relying on skills that were same foundation. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, oh, you're talking about conflict with your other coworkers, not necessarily conflict with customers, like in regards to negotiating. Prices. Yeah, just like that's the world you lived in in the car business. And so, so yeah, I mean, I remember the car business wasn't a good example of healthy conflict either, but I just remember like, like to not call anyone out in 2022, but like I got in a yelling, like pushed up against the wall match with my boss in the car business, <laughs> you know, and it's like you have to make a decision. Like, <laughs> like I, I just learned very quickly, like I wasn't the, the, I'm not the biggest, baddest person out there, which is, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, that's I mean, kind of like, how I lived my like life. Like my early career days, like the conflict that would just like crush me. I was like, I'll never forget. Like I was talking about boss behind his back making comments. And then all of a sudden he pokes his head around the corner and says like, like he makes some comment basically knowing that he heard what we were saying. Yeah. First of all, you're hiding behind the wall listening and then now you do it. And now, and then like, I'll never forget. He drove an electric car. This was back when electric cars were like first coming out. Never forget. What he, job was this? Early 97. Oh, okay. Pre-acquisition. And, and he, he like, he was like eavesdropping on the conversation. And he's like, basically like, um, you know, I heard what you said. And then he like ran away, got in his car. And I just never forget like the silent car just <laughs> driving away. <laughs> it's like, you know, was, and that was like, so I was like, dude, I'm so, I didn't mean what I said, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, be happy again. Be happy again. Instead of actually engaging with an authentic conversation, like in regards to like what I said anyway. Yeah. And you know, in my family culture growing up, it's very conflict avoidance. Like, yeah, there was conflict, but yeah, like basically if there was a conflict, it had to be like passionate. Yeah. Like nothing, 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 everything. You know, that's carried on to all areas of my life, both personal and professional. Um, I think the difference is now I, um, I think I, I think I've just like learned, like I act authentically want to listen to and authentically want to care. Like someone else can have a decision and that doesn't have to like impact me. Yeah. Like someone else can feel or think something and that's okay. You can feel this way. 
okay. You can think this thing like, okay, let's have a discussion. And it was talking about like even Jordan Peterson chapter, like assume someone else has information you don't. Yeah. How can I learn from you? So like really actually learning and having a little bit more of like confidence in myself, like it, like my, my like beliefs or my opinions don't have to be so dependent on others. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, someone else thinks something else like that. It might may or may not be accurate. I can listen to it. I can learn, but I, and maybe they really hate what I'm thinking. I, that's why I struggle. If I think something and someone like really doesn't like what it is that I think like, okay, I'm just like becoming more and more like, yeah, that's okay. Like, yeah. in fact, there are things that are willing to be disliked over and I'm okay with that. Even if, and then I've been confronting that and even, even at work, like being like, Hey, does it bother you that I've been, I'm doing this thing? And having that conversation. And that's where like the 10 out of 10 honesty has been so great for mm-hmm. me. It's like, I just lean into like, hey, 10 out of 10 honesty, does it bother me? And almost nine times out of 10, they're like, no, 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 it doesn't bother me. Like, okay, fair enough. You're either being dishonest or you're being honest. And either way, I don't really care because at least I've talked about it. So now you've got nothing. Yeah, so um, explain, give some context to the 10 out of 10 honesty because I think this is a really good tool to help you grow if you are if you struggle with conflict. So 10 out of 10 honesty is something that we got from that KW hiring conference which is awesome. Um, and it's, uh, at least I think we got it from there. Did we get it from there? It's from the the hiring process. Yeah. So you sit down. So interesting how the, the web's entered. That was like yeah, five years ago, uh, a couple months ago. Really? Mm-hmm. It feels like forever. Ago. I know. It was only a year before I started. Wow. wow. So you sit down with someone, you ask the question, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how honest do you want me to be with you? And most of the time, someone's going to say like nine or 10 honesty. You're like, okay, great. It doesn't really matter what they say. I mean, it does, but it doesn't really matter. And you say, okay, cool. Describe a time that someone was that honest with you. And almost all the time, it's someone was direct. Someone was honest. Someone was respectful. Someone didn't beat around a bush. Someone was like, you know, talk, talk real to me. And and you're like, okay, cool. And like, I asked that question because I, I want to know how, how honest do they want? And now they're giving me permission to be honest with them. Then you say, okay, well, I want you to be a 10 out of 10 honest with me. And that looks like this. And you list out the th- ways that you want them to communicate with you. you respectfully, yeah, and directly, I, I honestly. Think, I think that's really important because what it's doing is it's setting the expectation of how you want the culture and the atmosphere you want in work for, for feedback. Because not everybody want, not every work culture has a, a culture where they want 10 out of 10 honesty. Some bosses want to do a terrible job and not hear about it, right? And that's just not a good place to be. But what you want to do is if you're having a healthy work environment, you want to show that you're different in that you as the boss are coming saying, I want you to be 10 out of 10 honest with me, which means there should never be a time you're talking behind my back about a decision you don't like. You should come to me. Yeah. Because the the fact that you're saying that you don't like it and you disagree isn't the problem. The problem is you're not coming to me and saying that. You're correct. And- you know, also that, that conversation just lays the foundation. Like a lot of times you're like, Oh no, I need to say something, but you've never got to, you never had an authentic conversation with that person. Mm -hmm. And this is just like an intentional, authentic, authentic conversation right off the bat to set the tone. Like I now have permission to come talk to you about sensitive issues or small things. And you have permission to talk to me. And the other thing that I really like about it is it takes out the guessing game. So if I, if we are agreeing to be 10 and 10 honesty and I come in and I'm having a really bad day, I have permission to have a bad day. I have permission to be like, like, um, Hey, uh, 
I'm having a really, uh, like my kid was up all night and I look really grouchy and I'm not grouchy at you. And frankly, some, as a leader of people, people read into your stuff. Mm-hmm. People slack you and you don't respond and they're like, oh no, he's mad at me because I slacked him. I'm like, no, if I've got an issue with you, we are agreeing to be 10 out of 10 honest and I will talk to you about it. So therefore you don't, you never have to assume if I'm secretly mad at you. Yeah. And I think that's healthy. So when we're talking about, we kind of talked about two extremes for handling conflict in the workplace. One is just avoiding it. And the other is like running to it too quickly. And I think both, um, there, there's like a balance. Like I think I talked about a few episodes ago, I heard the, the analogy and I've said it before, but I just like the way that it did it, which is it's like a drunk guy on a horse that can fall off either way. Like mm-hmm. he falls off one way. So he leans too far to the other. So it's like, if you run to conflict too much and you have pain points from that, it may, you may fall from the other side by avoiding conflict too much. And so, uh, one thing I want to talk about first is unhealthy conflict in the workplace from the avoidance side and the too much, like the running to it too quickly side. And then we'll talk about like that balance that we found from our experience and tools to help us get there and why a good balance of healthy conflict is necessary in the workplace. So first let's talk about workplaces that avoid conflict. So when I think of a workplace that avoids conflict, I think about what you said at the beginning, like where you're kind of talking and your boss heard you and said something and then runs off and like the little electric car like you know squeals away um one thing is i think if you run a company or you have a ball or you have a team that you manage and you don't allow an avenue for them to disagree with you or bring conflict to you what you're doing is you're hoping in your head maybe not even thinking about it it's like the decision process we talked about last time like want to bet like like my employees can't disagreement with me want to bet like they can they're just doing it behind your back yeah right you're you're not giving a it's almost like a stress release valve like you're not giving an appropriate avenue for someone to have a disagreement with you and if you run a company where you're like no one can disagree with me what i say is like gospel that's not a good that's not a good it's not going to get real commitment from a team why do you think people actually would conduct themselves in that way well one uh, would probably be they don't respect the opinion and i get this this is definitely a struggle that i um can go down because i see this a lot so where i see this the most is with new hires so with new hires i think when you come into a company and you're brand new and you're very talented and you're young and you're enthusiastic before you can see the whole picture because you're brand new and don't know what's going on you find one little piece and you try to like talk about how it could be better because you're like trying to make your mark yeah. Right. You're coming to the company. You're trying to like prove yourself. You're trying to do something cool. Like the intentions are great. And sometimes it's easier to be like, I literally don't have time to entertain this because you're an infant in this company. Like there are 10 reasons why this idea doesn't work. And you don't, you haven't done the training to understand nine of the reasons, even if they are explained to you. Yeah. You know? And so sometimes I see that a lot with newer people where I don't have as good of patience, maybe as I should with newer people. And it's not like trying to be rude. It's just like, they'll come up with a new idea or something. It's like, like put in a little time and like learn the systems and processes before you try to change them. Like when I tell people, when we talk about like how to learn scripts and sales, it's you memorize it, then internalize it, then you customize it. So you can't customize the sales scripts until you've already memorized them and you've internalized them. So they're part of you. That's kind of how I look at solutions at work. Like, like maybe what you have has some merit to it, but really you need to, memorize the systems that we have in place and internalize them so you can really understand them and then work on customizing them. And people try to like skip that because they're just like excited or whatever. And so 
that's not really maybe conflict avoidance, but sometimes it's just like, I'm tempted to sometimes not give a good conversation of conflict to make, to like, and I'm more dismissive of ideas maybe from like a really, really new person because they're just like a puppy. You know what I'm saying? Like they just don't, they, their intentions are good. They're smart. They're talented, but they just have been here for two months and don't understand the inner workings of how that affects the whole company. All right. So dismissal because of experience or dismissal. So that's like mine, but it could just be dismissal because you just don't respect the person. You think you're smarter because really that's what that's saying. Even though with new people, I think that's a little bit of an extreme where it's not, I'm smarter. It's just, you don't know about the company because you're brand new. And it's a, it's complicated pieces. Like you don't have the perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so like dismissal two is super insecurity about your decision-making process. Like the last episode, like want to bet. Yeah. Like want to bet is kind of like, it's kind of com- it's kind of a conflict. Like if you tell me yeah. I'm going to do something, I go want to bet. That's kind of inviting conflict. Like, yeah. are you sure? Do you want to bet? And so, some people make decisions and have a lot of like insecurity, and so that's one reason they avoid conflict because they are scared that their the merit of their decision wouldn't hold up to conflict or wouldn't hold up to criticism. Yeah, sure. Um, so those would be the top two, I would say, from someone who's very pro conflict. And like comfortable with conflict. What about from you that's someone that's naturally more like conflict avoidance? I mean, the first thing I thought of was insecurity. So like if someone doesn't want to be challenged, it's because they, they think it wouldn't hold up. But I also agree with, okay, if someone doesn't want to be challenged, it might be because they dis- dismiss the challenger. Like get away from me. Like you're, you you don't have any value to actually add. Um, And either way, either response will result in dysfunction in the workplace. Right. Yeah, 100%. So like one of the things that you want is almost like, I've really been thinking about this, like as you take on more responsibility, like, and I don't think this principle, How do, I'm trying to think how to say this. I don't think this principle is any more applicable to a large corporation with someone that own, that runs like maybe like a thousand employees for someone that runs 50 employees for someone who has one employee or two employees like there comes a time and it, it, i think the larger the company is the more responsibilities you take so maybe it's not even a company but the team the more responsibilities you take the more likely you are employing people or people are under you that can do the job better than you can do the job and i think that's a i think when you first start out, maybe you're first in leadership. So for me, it's like sales manager. You're the best salesperson, so you become sales manager. So this happened several times in my career. So what that meant is I could always feel like I could do the job better than the people that worked for me because that's how I got the job was I, I was the best, right? And so as you grow out of that and you start work, you, you have people that start working for you or manage, you know, that you manage that are doing things that you couldn't do. So maybe you're not technical and you're in charge of R&D or support or even like what was the principles of sales don't change a ton. But like there's, you know, being out of sales makes people who are in sales every day have the upper edge on getting better than you. So you start making that. So then really what it becomes is it's like just navigating like an economy of ideas, maybe if that makes sense. Like when you're managing people, really what you're doing is you're just like collecting and leading a bunch of ideas and maybe most of the ideas aren't coming from you they're coming from other people and you need to allow people to voice their opinions and have conflict to like 
if does that make sense? Like you need people like if if me and you are in a room and we're going to walk out and your idea is going to win and I don't feel like I was able to have conflict with you to like challenge your idea enough to convince me that that's the right idea and I understand how we came to that decision. I'm not really going to be bought into your idea. Yeah, you will not be bought into it. Yeah. And so at some level it's like if I make a decision everyone in the company can't have their right to like have conflict with me one-on-one about the decision or nothing would ever get made because that would just be like a line out the door all the time. But like, so I think about my team. So I have like my leadership team, like my leadership team should be able to have conflict with me in the appropriate way for every decision I make. So that way we can all be bought in. And so that kind of brings me to the book that, um, that kind of like guided this episode that reminded me of this episode is five dysfunctions of a team, which is a great book. You can read it in like one sitting and uh, they have a uh, uh, the f- five behaviors of a cohesive team model. So it's like a pyramid. I use this all the time at work. I'd highly recommend if you're listening, you um, check this out. You can just literally Google five dysfunctions of a team pyramid and it'll pop up. And um, at the top of the pyramid is results. So it's like how you get the best results as a team. So the base layer is trust. So the bottom of the pyramid is trust. So it's like, they all build on each other. So if you don't have trust, you can't have the next one. And so you have to have trust. So what does trust look like? That's like the expectations interview, authentic conversations, inviting people to a place to say, this is how I like to have conflict. I'm open to conflict. I'm inviting conflict in. So on top of trust is conflict. So you have to have a certain level of conflict to be able to get the results that you want. Like that, that's what builds, but you can't have the conflict without the trust. And then well, the, let's talk about that. For instance, like, what is conflict? So conflict is an avenue to express why I think your idea sucks. Yeah, but you don't even have to speak so strongly about it. It could be an avenue for opposing or even slightly opposing viewpoints. It's asking a probing question. Yeah. That's conflict. Some people, if you're if you're conflict avoidant and you say, like, these blueberries are rotten. And I might be like, well, that, like, if I super fear conflict and I see that, like, oh, only half the blueberries are rotten, I won't say anything. But I might be like, well, those other ones are not rotten. But that, you have to, like, you have to be able to get to even that point. Like, well, half the blueberries yeah, yeah. aren't rotten. That's conflict. It's saying something that's opposing to what it is that you said. But some people think conflict is like, no, you're, you don't know anything about blueberries. You're an idiot. Like not necessarily like that is still also conflict, but also, but see that kind of conflict, I feel like is what breaks the trust. Yeah. Of like, if, if you come up with an idea and I'm like, you're an idiot. No, like that's, yeah. Now we're breaking trust. Now we're breaking trust. Like that, that's like unhealthy conflict on the other side. Uh Right. So it's like really what it is, is the way I like to imagine it. And so we do once a week, our leadership team gets together for a meeting and, and 60 minutes of the 90 minute meeting is talking through issues and inviting healthy conflict. And so really what this is, is it says we have to get to the next other side of conflict, which is commitment. Yeah. And the only way that you're going to be able to be committed to the idea doesn't mean that it has to be your idea. It doesn't even mean that you have to agree with the idea. It doesn't even mean that you have to like the idea because certainly some ideas are proposed and committed to by our leadership team that not everyone on the leadership team is thrilled about. Or you can take this down to any team, sales team, 
support team, whatever, because they all ha- they all do the same model through EOS. Yeah, yeah. But the only way I'm going to be able to commit to your idea, even if I think that it's wrong, is to have the chance to challenge your idea. Yeah. Uh-huh. And hopefully kind of come to a consensus or see your way. But even if I don't, at the end of the day, we have an umpire in the meeting. So that's the integrator of the company. It's like the COO of the company. And at the end of the day, you can go around and some ideas you're not going to get 100% like resolution on. And the boss of the meeting, the COO, says, well, this is what we're doing moving forward. It's done. We've had our conflict. Now we're just going in circles. I'm getting, I'm coming in, umpiring it. I'm making the decision. This is what we're doing moving forward. So now even if you lost, in quotations, you can at least feel good to commit that, hey, I said my piece and the group that I trust went in another direction. But at least I said my piece. Yeah. Right? And so it's harder to commit. So we call that disagree and commit. So it's like, hey, we can disagree with each other and commit. But the only way we can do that is if we have the appropriate time to have conflict. And I think where people fall on the other end of the spectrum at work a lot is is my word is my way or the highway you disagree and commit but by disagree i mean keep it to yourself like there is no avenue there is no like like release valve for you to have an appropriate time to to have conflict so like that's another thing with conflict is conflict is situational based off of like location and audience like anyone in my company with me in my office can come challenge an idea that I have. Mm-hmm. No one in my company can stand up in a meeting that I'm leading and say that it's a wrong idea in front of everybody and me accept that as good conflict where we're having. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Especially if that idea has already been through like the conflict cycle and we've disagreed and committed. Yeah. So it's like conflict is like one of the reasons I think people are scared of is because conflict is like fire. Like if it's not controlled, it can be disastrous for your company on both sides. Yeah. If people are too conflict prone it's like degrading it's not a fun work environment it's not healthy if people are too conflict avoidance like no one is actually happy no one is honest there's no trust there's no commitment but when conflict is done right in an appropriate setting it's like what we talked about last week and the how you make decisions want to bet kind of thing it's like for me i like conflict because i um something i realized about myself and but see, I think you're kind of like this as well because you were talking about like knee-jerk reactions last week. Um, and when I say last week, I mean like 30 minutes ago when we were talking in in in, in this <laughs> in the same room. Um, that's why it's fresh in my mind. I remember one time distinctly, I was at a show in, when I was in real estate. I was in Las Vegas. We were at a gas station and we were trying to decide where we wanted to eat. And I was like, we should get Mexican food. And then I'm talking and I kind of, everyone's kind of getting bought in on the idea of Mexican food. You know how the group goes like, oh yeah, I can do Mexican food. Yeah, they yeah. start Googling stuff. I'm like, I go, I'm getting a drink. I come back, we're in checkout. Someone's like, oh, look at this Mexican place. I go, yeah, I'm not feeling Mexican. And people are like, what are you talking about? And a guy that I've worked with for a long time, like kind of perked up. I was like, guys, you got to let Houston like cycle through his idea to see if he even agrees with it. Cause he just said like, what about Mexican as like an idea of what we would say in our head and then say, no, that's not a good idea. I'm not going to say it. He just says it out loud. And I think that's one reason why I'm so like pro conflict because I really enjoy, even if I agree with you, I'll sit on the other side just to poke holes to see like, let's say we both want Mexican food. I'll sit on the other side and poke holes on why that's a bad idea to see if I really believe I'm literally experiencing anxiety right now. 
Really? Like right now, listening, like that idea. But we talked about that last week about like that's how you make good decisions is like you're open to feedback from the other side to make sure that like your your stuff yeah, is Yeah, but rock that's solid. different. Being open from the other side is different than agreeing with you but taking an opposing point and then poking holes in it. I agree with you that you can refine it. I guess maybe what was giving me anxiety is the idea of like, are you going to get Mexican or not? Now you're just playing with everyone. Yeah, so that's not necessarily good conflict. That's just how my brain works is what I was trying to explain of like, I was poking holes with myself. So like I throw out an idea and then I'm disagreeing with it because I, when I think I speak. Huh. So like even like, I mean, I try not to do it because it actually makes me think you could like go crazy if you do that. But like sometimes I ask people to like co-work with me collaboratively because I just need someone in the room because I don't feel comfortable talking out loud by myself. But that's how I would do my best work because I think better when I say it out loud. Like I think better by speaking than I do keeping it. Internal I, in I do as well. I'm, I'm a verbal processor, but I'm, I don't need to, sp- I need to speak to understand. I don't need to speak to make decision. Well, maybe, I don't know. Huh. I got to chew on that. Huh. So like, let's use an example. Let's say that we wanted to take, we have a, a small LLC that we just have a little bit of side hustle money and not a lot, but let's say we wanted to take, let's say I came to you and was like, I want to use $2,000 of it and I want to buy, I don't know, Bitcoin or whatever, or a business venture or a real estate, you know, whatever. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. And like no hesitancy, I would feel uncomfortable. And what I would prefer is either you poke holes in it or me be like, okay, cool. You defend why that's a good idea. I'm going to sit on this other side and talk about how that's not a good idea. Yeah. Because for me to feel comfortable moving forward with the decision, I need a certain level of conflict. Which is why I think I adopt, like, I really like this model because this is like almost giving me rain. It like rains in my conflict to say like, here's how you do it healthily and everyone Mm -hmm. can enjoy it. And no one's feelings it hurts because certainly, certainly if it's not done appropriately and I run the company and I'm the most comfortable with conflict, it can come off very unhealthy. But if it's done in a controlled environment where people even have the ability to step in and go like, this is too far, you know, this isn't the appropriate time to do it or whatever, then it can be like really healthily done. And it's really been a cool tool. This pyramid so it's trust and conflict, and then from conflict comes a co- yeah, commitment. Yeah, cut you off before you get to a commitment. So yeah, if you if you can overcome fear of conflict, that's going to lead you to commitment. So which is what you want because if you don't have commitment, then you can't get accountability, and accountability was good to see results. So it's like a lot of companies want results, 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 and then they're like, oh crap. Well, the way I get results is more accountability, and that's what turns into micromanaging. Yeah. Because you really can't get accountability if people aren't committed to being accountable for things. Yeah. And you're not going to get commitment from people unless they feel like they can have a healthy amount of conflict. And you're not going to get that conflict unless you have a base level of trust with your company. Gosh, I, I remember this book. This book is great. Yeah, it's a really good tool. And so it's like the easiest thing to do is look at results, hold people accountable. The hardest thing to do is build real trust with your team. But the whole premise of this pyramid is like if you don't have that trust as a base level, like you can't talk about accountability and results if you don't have trust. Yeah. Because trust leads to conflict, which leads to commitment, which leads to accountability, which leads to results. So commitment, what does that mean? Oh, I have a really good definition for this. You ready? This is like my speech. I can't remember. I heard this from someone and I use it all the time. Commitment is how you show up for a goal long after the feeling you had when you set that goal goes away. Uh, you gotta say that slower. Commitment is how you show up for goals 
long after the feeling you had when you set that goal goes away. You show up to goals. Yeah. So when you set the goal is when you're, you're hyped, motivated for it. Yeah. You're motivated. You're in, like weight loss goals, or let's say, let's use, let's get off business for a second. I want to lose weight. So I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. I watch a motivational video. I watch a David Goggins video. Like I, I want to, I want to run a marathon, whatever it is. I'm very hype. I have all the stuff and it's going to take me six months to hit my goal. Well, two months later, it's rainy. It's a Tuesday. Your yeah. kids are upset. I mean, you got the, I mean, the, the drudge. Yeah. So now you're, now it's all commitment. It's, there's no motivation, no motivation to be found. Yeah. So it's like separating your emotions from your actions. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those like def and I, I don't know. That's like one of those definitions I heard one time and I literally probably have said a hundred times and I use it on stage all the time. And I'm like, man, I wish I knew like, so if you're listening and you've heard that before and you can tell me the source, that would be very helpful paging dr google um but but yeah so i was like it's how you show up for the goal after the like it's separating your feelings from it and so like you can't separate your feelings from it if you don't feel like you've had a chance to express your feelings and the way you express your feelings is through conflict so it's like if your boss makes a decision that you don't agree with and you have to follow it for the next year you're not going to ever get to commitment unless you can go talk about you can't unless you feel heard and maybe like good conflict is like if they're completely wrong and you're completely right, you have an avenue to change that the like outcome of that. Yeah, like it's never going to be like it's not demo, it's not you know uh, companies can't be run democratically, like where you have to have a majority vote on everything. You would like to ideally have most people's buy-in, but you're always going to have one person. You know, you get three people in a room. What it's hard to get a consensus every time on every decision. But as long as you know you have an avenue to really fight it out and then you know, hey, this didn't go the way I saw it to go, but I'm going to commit to it because the next decision that's going to come up isn't going to go the way that you wanted it to go to, but you're going to have my back because we got through this and now we've agreed to it. And that's kind of the mutual trust of like, let's say me and you are on the same team and one decision you and the third person really like and I don't and we have healthy conflict and, and I lose. And you and so the team says, "Yep, we're moving forward with Tim's idea." The one of the reasons I'm going to be committed to it is because of that trust. Because I had my conflict, I'm not holding anything back. It's not like a month later, like, "Oh, I wish I would have said this or I should have done this." But I, no, I got everything out. We it went not my way. And I'm committed to it because the next week, the same thing's going to happen. We're going to disagree and it's going to go my way. And I need you to be committed to it, which means you have to get all your conflict out so we can move forward. And I need to rely on you. Even if you didn't agree with it at the start, I need you to act like you agree with it now because you need to actually adopt that. You do agree with that. And I'm going to do the same for you because we trust each other. Or at least understand why someone else would think that. Yeah. But then even it's like, um, I mean, I don't have kids, but, well, this isn't even kids, but like from a family thing, it's like Chelsea and I can disagree and do disagree. But we're when we're a public, we're a united front. Yeah. Like when you're with your kids, you and your wife are a team. Yeah. You're saying the same thing. Even if, you know, I can't really think of an example, but like if I was out in public and Chelsea was like, said something that maybe I didn't 100% agree with, but she was like, arguing with the person. It doesn't matter what the subject is. I'm a hundred percent stomping over that person to 
pr- to show why Chelsea's right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then when we get along, I might be like, hey, we have had conflict about this to like get on the same page to commit to like where we stand as a family on this. Yeah. But there's times to disagree and that's where dysfunction happens in a team at a workplace is when the conflict happens in inappropriate settings. So it's interesting, like if someone read the title of this podcast episode, they might read conflict as dysfunction. And like the big takeaway that I'm at least being reminded of in this is conflict doesn't need to be dysfunction. Yeah, conflict is a dysfunction and conflict, lack of conflict is a dysfunction. Yeah, 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 on either side of the horse, like you're talking about. Like someone might be like, there is dysfunction in my work. Let me listen to this. And they're like, oh, so how do you deal with dysfunction? You got to get to trust. Yeah. Trust is the first thing you have to have. Yeah. So it's like, if you're dealing with dysfunctions, whether it's too much conflict, too little conflict. And that's the thing is, again, this is the hard way, not the easy way, but it's the right way. You got to start with trust. So you may be like, we have an accountability problem. You have a trust problem first. Yeah. So how does one begin getting trust? Well, one, it's, I think the expectations dialogue is great. Following that is great. Yeah. Like, because that will break trust. If you're like, if you're like, I want you to be super open because one of the things on the expectation interview, and if you need a copy of it, just email us. Uh, we had like a couple people email us about the interview questions that I was able to email them out. It was cool. Um, if you want the expectation dialogue, just reach out to us on social and we'll, we'll get it to you. But one of the things is if you have bad, if you have bad news, how would you like it to be handled? And then if I, if you have bad news for me, here's how I would like it to be handled. And for me, it's like one-on-one and immediate, right? So if you have bad news, if you guys shit, eat shit, don't nibble, right? It's like, yeah. let's get it over with, but let's do it privately. Like, yeah. don't catch me off guard. And so the first way you do trust is you live that out and you show it. So it's like, like you said, never assume that I'm mad at you if I'm in a bad mood because, you know, yeah. I'm hungry. What that means is you can never be in a bad mood with them and not bring it up to them because it's going to break the trust. Correct. So it's like it starts with it starts with the leader. Like the leader has to like live that out as an example and talk through things. And a lot of times, like you think about like your good friends, like your good friends are ones that you've had real fights with. Yeah. You know, and you've gotten through it and you've shown that like your fake friends are the ones that you don't fight with. Those are the ones that talk about you behind your back because they can't if you if you're doing something they don't like. Yeah. Right. Like those aren't friends that are worth having. So that's not how I look at coworkers as well. Like if I can't. If. I can't expect trust from them to come to me with problems if I'm like avoiding going to them when I see problems with them. Like, how do you like if you're like, hmm, I'm thinking if I should if I should talk about this thing, but should I? Like, is it too petty? Is it too you know? Maybe I just need to like not be bothered by it. Yeah, one thing that I've done because um, I do struggle with that, like, because sometimes I misread emotions because people feel things differently than I feel things. Um, and so sometimes a good thing that I do is I'll pull someone aside and be like, because one of the things that you want to do is come from curiosity. It's like a really cool value of like, it's very good for like, you know, marriage as well. It's like very applicable in marriage. Like you assume good intent from the person. Like, so the first thing I do with people that I work with is I assume they have good intent for the company, they have good intent for me. Yeah. Like if they don't and they have ill intent for the company and they hate me, like, Maybe we can never, we have to, that's a whole nother thing to work through or exit. We can't work together. Yeah. You can't, you you don't have to like me as a per. you don't have to like me. 
we have to be friends, but you have to assume good intent that yeah. like I have good intent for you and the company. And if you don't, it's just not, it has to be resolved either in getting on the same page or exiting. And so, so sometimes things will come up. Someone will make a comment or someone will, it's mostly, it's mostly less about verbal comments because that's easy. It's mostly about like, um, like you said, like maybe you're in a bad mood. So like something comes off a little weird, like a vibe comes off weird in a meeting or, you know, a, a, a innocent comment comes off a little weird because maybe their tone or their face or, you know, something like that, like rubs me the wrong way. So then I asked the question of like, um, is it worth bringing up? Is it too petty? Whatever. But my thought is if I'm feeling about it and I'm wrestling with it for more than like 30 seconds, it's probably worth talking about. Mm. And so the question um, that I've like kind of learned to ask is come up to someone and be like, Hey, here's a situation that happened. Here's how it came off to me. I don't quite believe that that's how you intended it to come off, but I just want to let you know that it did come off that way. And I'm trying to like figure out why I feel that way. And I put it, I literally like, it's like we talked about all the time, like give credit, take blame. Like I, one of the easiest ways, especially people who are conflict avoidance is to put all the blame on me. So it's like, I, I'm not saying that you're, you meant this disrespectfully. I don't believe that was your intent because we have trust. And I believe that you would come to me. It did come off disrespectful to me and I'm not, I can't like pinpoint why. So can we just like talk about it so I can like figure out why and we can like get through this. I don't actually think that you probably meant it disrespectful. And if you did, we can talk about that too. But like, help me understand, like, do you have any idea like why I would feel that way? And is there something in your head in that moment thinking perhaps they did mean to come across disrespectful? Oh, it will tell you when you ask that question. I feel like their face will tell you. And if it, the more you do little things, it's like you get little ones. It's like, um, it's like, this is maybe a bad, maybe a reach of an analogy, but it's like about how lottery winners usually like end up back in their same like wealth level because yeah. they don't know how to manage it. It's like, it, there's a, a principle maybe it's in the Bible that says like, if you can't be a steward for a little, why would you be a steward for a lot? Mm. You know? So it's like, I can't expect us to have a, a really trusting open relationship about big issues. If we can't about little issues, yeah, okay. so actually take that as a win. Like the smallest things, like pull it up and I'll just blame it on me and be like, you know, I don't read emotions all the time or I can't read the room all the time. Or like I have shortcomings in like, in like emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence. Here's how this came off to me. It could completely be in my head. What's up? Like, help me understand. 10 out of 10 honesty. And sometimes people will be like, I have no idea why you think that. That wasn't my intent. I don't feel like I was being weird. I'm not in a bad mood. I'm sorry. But then it's very easy. Sometimes people will be like, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I kind of understand it my babysitter just called and gave me, you know, really, or, you know, I, I hit traffic on the way in. I'm in a bad mood. It's nothing to do with you. Like blah, blah, blah. And then I'll kind of talk and go, cool. If I feel that way, is it possible that maybe people that work for you feel that way as well? Like, like let's check our emotions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause especially right now it's like you, you work for me. We're having this conversation, but it's like, if your bad mood is kind of coming off to me in a meeting, and I'm your boss. Like, let's just like make sure like what avenues can I give you to like express your scared 
or or bad mood or whatever in an appropriate way. Like if Alistair, you're not going and doing that to your team. So your team thinks you're in a bad mood now. So then that's like a, a thing to talk about. Or sometimes they're like, yeah, I didn't mean to call off disrespectful, but I didn't like that you did this. Especially for people who are conflict avoidance. It's like, I remember one time I used to have a really close coworker when we, and we were peers and we had like a conversation. I didn't think anything of it. And like two weeks later, like it came up again, I kind of circled back around. I was like, Hey, what did you think of that? And she was like, yeah, I've been really upset about that for two weeks. And I just kind of like smirked at her. I was like, this is all on you. Don't look at me. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, and I was like, you've been holding something for two weeks that I haven't thought about one time. So now the level of like escalation in your head is way up here because you've been like simmering on this for two weeks and is way down here for me because I haven't given it a second thought because you gave me no indication that you're upset. So like if we're going to re-engage at this, we're both re-engaging at a bottom level because all of this like stuff that you've built up in your head, that's on you because you didn't come to me. Yeah, I would say that's a fairly high level of emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's just easier to play the card that I have really low emotional intelligence because then it opens up easy conversations. Self-deprecate for the sake of... Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, it's like... Part of what we talked about last week, a lot of leadership is just like getting over looking cool. Except for when you buy the new Nike shoes Mm. that are pretty cool. Yeah, I I got some new ones as well that's coming this week. Well, I've decided... I saw a guy, I'm a Jordan's guy now. I saw a guy this week. He had the Adidas high tops, like the, the Adidas yeah. version of those. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And I'll wear those to compete with the Jordans. Yeah. So I will say this, this is a little caveat. It's completely unrelated. Like, and this is what I told my wife. I told my sister this the other day. Um, and some other people, I give no cares about what I wear. I just want to feel put together. So if someone wants to pick my outfit every day or pick a style or whatever, like I just want to feel like I'm put together. Yeah, sure. I, I but it's mostly just to show that I'm being intentional. I literally don't care what I wear. But I have never worn any single piece of clothing, outfit, shoes, hairstyle, even my tattoos. I have never got compliments from strangers as much as I do whenever my Jordans. I like love the Jordans. People compliment or talk at least talk about and bring up my tattoos quite often. But it is nothing in compared to Everywhere I go and I'm wearing my Jordans, people call, people point them out. That's funny. So now I got but you got to get over looking cool to well, build trust. Well, in the team, it's like, yeah, that I let people make fun of me. Like, what did my Dundee get like about like caring about what you wear? Like, I make it a joke about what I wear, like because I had someone help pick out my outfits. You know, like you just self deprecate because you just make people feel comfortable about their shortcomings because you're like, it's like I don't care. Like I don't care about being cool. Yeah. I don't care about owning the fact that I misread a, uh, like if there's something weird between us, the easiest way to get into it is by me owning the fact that I probably messed up because I'm really bad at dealing with emotional things. Yeah. Because it gives you the chance to be like, yes, you did. And then it starts the conversation. Mm. So I think that's something that I've grown in a lot because that definitely isn't my natural disposition or what I was when I was younger of just being like, yeah, I'm wrong. Okay, cool. Let's move on. How can we get this conversation? And at least you've aired it. Yeah. You take all the risk off of them from with a conflict by saying, I'll take all the blame and then let's start dealing through this. Like that's, you start with the position of I'm probably wrong. Help me understand. 
And that's just a really easy invitation, especially if someone works for you yeah. to like come into conflict. Yeah. Well, what an insightful and healthier way of thinking about conflict, which, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Even in, I saw your, your description of this and it's like, you know, I, I see the word conflict differently now than I did an hour ago. So thank you. Boom. Look at that. Well, next week is your week. And remember, if you like Tim's episodes, share, share the episodes. <laughs> if you like my episodes, share the episodes. And we will see you next week with a brand new Tim episode. Let's go. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. It's the Bros Before CEOs podcast. Bro, I'm not your bro, bro. If for 10 years, if you didn't avoid doing what you knew you needed to do. I think people can choose to be not ordinary. You're not everything you could be, and you know it. Bro. Take it easy, okay?